0: The Writer Files, a member of the Podglomerate Network. Greetings, scribes. I have got some exciting news to share. The Writer Files now has an exclusive Patreon community where subscribers will get exclusive access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and content from productivity and publishing experts each month. In the meantime, just head over to Patreon.com slash The It's free to join Patreon to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's Patreon.com slash The Writer Files. Help us start something special.
1: Flow state is the writer's high that keeps us going. On the on the bad days when the muses are not anywhere to be seen and you're just slogging away and typing and you just feel like you're, you know, I used to say I was killing trees to no purpose, but of course now everything's electronic, so I don't print out that often. But the days when you hit the flow state where time stretches and you don't know if you've been and you can do twenty pages in two hours. And then you have the days when you can do four pages in eight hours. And for me at the beginning of a book, it's usually a little slower, four pages is my minimum. And then I try not to have a maximum because that way lies madness. You'll burn yourself out. Even I, and I will do that. If I get enough days in a row where I've got tremendous page count, then I think, well, I can do that. I can do that, I can do that tomorrow. I can do it again. No, 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 no. No, you can't. You cannot run a marathon every day.
0: And welcome back to The Writer Files. I am still your grateful host, Kelton Reed, wishing you pages, patience, and perseverance per usual. Number one New York Times bestselling author, Laurel K. Hamilton, returned to talk about how her writing process has evolved over the last 30 years, how to find words, wisdom, and mental wellness, celebrating the 30th in the Anita Blake Vampire Hunter series with Slay. Laurel is the trailblazing, genre-bending author of the Anita Blake Vampire Hunter series and the Married Gentry Faye detective series, and is considered an influential pioneer in the urban fantasy genre. In the 30th novel of the number one New York Times best-selling Vampire Hunter series, Slay, Wedding Bells Are Ringing, But before Anita can make it to the altar, she must face an obstacle more daunting than any supernatural threat. Laurel is one of the most successful and popular paranormal fiction authors publishing today, has published over 40 novels, and sold more than 20 million copies of her books. In this file, Laurel and I discussed why she doesn't outline or do research before her first drafts, how she became a lean, mean writing machine over the years, why you can't beat yourself up if the pages aren't coming, how to refill your creative tank, tapping science history and mythology for realism in your fiction the rarefied air of a 30 book series and a lot more stay calm and write on and don't forget you can always support this show by heading to writerfiles.fm where you can also sign up for email updates and other resources for writers and if you're a fan of the writer files please click follow to automatically see new interviews in your podcatcher as soon as they're published and drop us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you tune in to help other writers find us. All right, we are rolling once again. I am honored, thrilled today to be joined once again by our esteemed guest. We have a returning guest, uh, of course, number one New York Times bestselling author, Laurel K. Hamilton is back hanging out with us to chat about all things writing.
1: Thank you for having me back on the show, Kelton. It's it's great to be back.
0: Yeah, thanks for taking the time and, and I know your time is precious. You are um, obviously a, a busy lady. Um, we've got lots going on, but we have a new one in the in the pipeline coming up uh, here shortly in November and I can't wait to talk about Slay the 30th in the Anita Blake. Vampire Hunter series that's quite a milestone.
1: I am very very pleased with this milestone. I mean not only is it just obviously awesome but when I I remember when I got the first contract it was for 3 books and I remember holding that looking at the contract because back then it wasn't electronic it was a real contract a paper and holding it and going there'll be at least 3 books. <laughs> and I never dreamed that the series would be popular and keep selling so that I would be able to do 30 books in a single series. I mean, so few people get that chance.
0: Yeah, it's incredible. And congratulations. I mean, you know, I I can't really say much more than just to have kept it going so long and have kept the momentum and interest and the fandom all the while kind of, uh, you know, as you put it, keeping interest yourself uh, by, you know, evolving these characters, evolving this world, evolving this, you know, as you put it, kind of world building and these magic systems. And and yeah, it's very cool to see. I mean, I, I don't, I can't think of another author that I've spoken with that has had such a long running hit series.
1: I actually, you have to go to mystery. You have to go to mystery usually, but I looked it up. I looked it up because I was wondering if there was anybody else out there. And, of course, it's uh, Nora Roberts writing as J.D. Robb with the Eve Dallas series. She has more Mm. books than hers. Yes, close to 60.
0: Wow. Okay.
1: (laughs) So I was feeling pretty good, you know. And uh, I looked that up and, and, uh, you know, uh, she is a lean, mean writing machine. It's just a level of, of productivity and level of writing at that level of pace that I just kind of she's one of the few writers that I just kind of bow down out and go yes yes you are
0: incredible well as a trailblazer of so many different genres and of course you've talked about kind of the monster mash that it, that goes into your work but um yeah you you have as you put it given yourself enough toys to keep it interesting all of this while um and as you said you you looked to mystery as kind of The blueprint for how to how to keep a long running series going, and we've talked about that in our previous episode. Which, you know, I'll just remind readers it was it's been exactly three years, almost to the day, that we spoke about the twenty seventh in the series, and that was a really really enlightening conversation. I wanted to pick your brain more, get you back, of course, to talk more about you know having one of the most long running series. Um, in the game, you talked a little bit about, and I, thought, I found this very interesting, how sometimes your characters take over the plot if they have better ideas. And you talked a little bit about, you know, kind of that quote unquote magic that you lean on a little bit sometimes. And, and you know, I, I found that interesting because I think there's something there's probably some neurobiological stuff going on there where you you've developed such an intricate kind of interiority. To this world and, and and you said you're not really leaning too much on outlining now uh, t- tell us a little bit more about this really fascinating fascinating process and how it's evolved over the years
1: i am always one of those writers that writes to read my own story by that i mean that if i outline i've tried this over the years i mean i've been i've been writing for uh, for, uh, for over 30 years uh but you know the the your career starts when you have a book that breaks out. That's that's how people always think of it. So 30 years, because I, that the Anita Blake series was what broke me out um, to that next echelon. But I've tried outlining, because so many people at the beginning tell beginning writers, you know, you, you must outline. But for me, if I outline too much, it takes away the impetus, the fuel I use to write. So for me... I am better off if I do my first draft, at least the first draft, by the seat of my pants and not worrying about it. I will make notes as I write. I'll have like the mystery arc and the character arc. like I'll know who or what done it, usually before I sit down. I'll know that. I'll know what the, the mystery spine of the book is. And then I'll know character arc, character development. Sometimes I will do my research for mythology and folklore and science before I sit down to write. And sometimes I have to write the first draft before I know what areas I need to research more. Because by this time, I'm very familiar with the world. And I'm a biologist. I I actually have my degree and everything. I I call myself a non-working biologist because I've never earned my living with it, as many of us don't. But the science background... I think helps me balance the, the wild creativity with a logic and a way of looking through through things and dissecting things until I get to the core of them. So uh, for the first draft, though, if I get if I get too sciencey and start dissecting everything, it really slows the writing down. So you have to really separate those two two parts of your brain. The flow state is, the writing is when you're you're just writing and it's really going, you're really in the sweet spot. And flow state is the writer's high that keeps us going. On the, on the bad days when the muses are not anywhere to be seen and you're just slogging away and typing and you just feel like you're, you know, I used to say I was killing trees to no purpose, but of course now everything's electronic, so I don't print out that often. But the days when you hit the flow state, Where time stretches and you don't know if you've been, and you can do 20 pages in two hours. And then you have the days when you can do four pages in eight hours. And for me, at the beginning of a book, it's usually a little slower. Four pages is my minimum. And then I try not to have a maximum because that way lies madness you'll burn yourself out. Even I, and I will do that. If I get enough days in a row where I've got tremendous page count, then I think, well, I can do that. I can do that. I can do that tomorrow. I can do it again. No, 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 no. No, you can't. You cannot run a marathon every day. You, You burn yourself out and you lose the momentum of the book. I find that I have to fight myself from, I get too excited and then I will, think I can finish it sooner and I'll give myself an earlier deadline than I should have. So I've learned to be a more, uh, more patient writer with myself and not beat myself up on the days when four pages is all I can get out. The one thing that I am still not good at is knowing I was actually good, better at this when I was younger. There are days when you, when you shouldn't keep making yourself right when it's not coming. And there are days when you should stay at your desk and you'll have a breakthrough and you'll get past that part in the book that's giving you problems. But there are days, there are days when you just are better off getting up from your desk, taking a walk, going to lunch with a friend, and just getting the heck out of the office. Because part of it is sometimes I think, we need to physical it. We need to do something physical, something totally different than try to write. And sometimes our subconscious will work through the part of the book that's sticking. I'm not a good judge of those days, though. I don't know if it's a day when if I press on and stay at the computer, I'll have that breakthrough or whether I need to get out of the office. I I am actually not a good judge of that. And I'm trying to get better at it, but I don't know. Maybe I'm never going to be a good judge of that. I am so, so punishing in my scheduling. I'm so hard on myself that it's hard for me to take breaks. It's hard for me to do something. But if you don't refill your creative tank, you you can't keep drawing on an empty well. You have to fill the water back up. You have to let yourself fill back up. And um, one of the things that I don't hear many people talk about in writing is you need to figure out what fills your creative cup back up. We talk about, you know, I I do four pages a day. I will average between four and six to eight hours a day in in my office. And, you know, we talk about work schedule. We talk about do you do computer? Do Do you do handwritten? You know what? We talk about all that. But one thing I see very few writers talking about is this, and that is that you have to figure out what refills your tank. And if you go too long, once you've figured it out from doing those things, you will hit a wall, not because there's anything wrong with the book, but just that you've drained yourself. So I stopped, uh, when I'm writing really heavy, I have a hard time reading other people's work. Especially when I'm editing mode, Because I try to edit everybody's books when I'm reading them. And so it makes it really hard to get into the flow of a book. What I've found is I can read nonfiction when I'm writing fiction. So I've been doing reading. Other people's words can fill me up. But I have to be really careful who and what I read. Because otherwise, I get impatient with that too. You know, the ocean. Bodies of water, running water is very soothing for me. I am actually... I am actually not really good at knowing what fills my cup up. And I have been really, really working because you go and get a new experience, but you can't get a new experience every day. You can't get a new experience every month or even you can't know if it's going to fill your cup up or if it's going to take away from it, somehow drain instead of give.
0: Hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: So as as a writer, I think it's really important to figure out what fills up your creative cup. And also to make a list of what drains your creative cup. Pay attention to the people that you go out and do lunch with and you come away tire, more tired than you started. And far from it invigorating you and wanting you to go back and, to the keyboard and go, yes, I can do this. You just feel even worse than you started. Keep track of those people that drain you because they're dangerous to be around if you're already struggling with the book, especially. They will not help you. As harsh as that sounds, you need people that buoy you up and fill your cup up that don't just drain your cup again.
0: And just a quick aside to revisit the exclusive Writer Files Patreon community where subscribers get access to uncut ad-free interviews, a Writer's Happy Hour, bonus breakdowns, and a lot more. I know that for serious writers, it can be more distracting than ever to cut through the noise, stay productive, and home in on what's happening in the publishing industry. Over eight years, we've provided a looking glass into the habits of professional writers and publishing industry insiders. And as your humble host, I've decided to launch a membership-based Patreon for serious scribes to cut through the noise, swap tips and tricks, and hang out with like-minded peers. Just head over to patreon.com slash the writer files for bonus writing resources, monthly episode breakdowns, writer's happy hour, a community of your peers, ad free episodes and more. It's free to join to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash the writer files. Help us start something cool and special. Keep calm and write on. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? We probably don't talk about mental health and wellness enough, probably, you know, like in our own community. Um, You're right. We do talk more about kind of like the minutiae of the process. But, of course, with the neurobiological stuff, you know, what you're describing is also really important to to mental health, as you said, kind of like being nicer to yourself, but also um, figuring out, What fills you up, as you said, as you put it creatively, what fills your cup? I love that. Good reminder.
1: What I'm finding is, especially with uh, the last few years, I think we've all been more drained than normal, just what's happened around us. And as a writer, you are impacted by that as a creative person. You just, there's no way for that not to impact you and take energy from you. And so I think it's even more important now to figure out what fills you up. Unfortunately, one of the things that filled me up was travel. And uh, I okay, I'm I'm incredibly phobic of almost every mode of travel. Um, I, I I've been in a plane that caught fire in midair. Uh, I've had really bad experiences. There's a reason these are not idle phobias, but yet getting to the destination and seeing new landscapes or a familiar landscape that you love that fills me up. But of course now travel is harder, so I am trying to figure out what I can do that is less stressful but fills the cup up to replace some things that have become more difficult. And that, that has been a whole new thing. That, that, that is, I'm still working on that one, but filling your cup up as is, is more and more important. And I think we don't talk enough about it. And I'm talking, I'm seeing so many online writers, very young writers who just started and they're already burned out.
0: <laughs> yeah. uh,
1: well, but think about it. A lot of them are indie authors. So they are not only writing their books, they're marketing their books. They're doing all the promotion, everything. It's a one man band usually. And I, one of the reasons I'm very happy to be a traditional pub traditionally published is I don't have to do all that myself. So I think that's contributing to hearing so many writers burning out so much more quickly than we ever talked about it before because the business has changed.
0: Yeah. True enough. Well, fascinating. Uh, To talk about and think about, of course, and all great reminders and indie versus traditional, of course, you're going to be doing the marketing piece initially and you're going to be doing the social media stuff. And yeah, that's all that can all be really draining. Absolutely. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm super fascinated by your also you had mentioned you sometimes you do the research piece to add that realism layer once you've done that first draft, which I, I find very cool. And, you know, uh, you're, you're weaving in all of these different things to create this mashup as it were, but talk a little bit about the folklore piece. I know, and obviously anthropology can kind of overlap with mythology and folklore. And these are really fascinating things because I think sometimes maybe we lose sight of, you know, these origin stories, uh, that underlie a lot of the, uh, especially the macabre and, and horror genres, but, um, yeah, it's fascinating to me that that some of these through lines are really like deep, deep, deep historical kind of dives.
1: Well, one of the interesting things, Slay is going to have the first comprehensive, truly comprehensive list of books, articles, and even online sites that I've visited for research for this book. I thought it was very important for the 30th novel in in the series to show some of the research. and. Because if you if you want to hear me get up on a soapbox and rant and rave and chew the scenery, have me have another uh, somebody say, well, it's just fantasy or it's just horror. You don't have to do research for that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And unfortunately, I've been hearing, I, I've heard that from, I heard that from readers before, but I'm actually hearing it from some writers, some new writers, and I and I am just like. I was speechless. It was like, what the hell are you doing then? How are you writing? If you have nothing in nothing to draw upon, well, they're imitating what they read and they're only reading in their genre. And if anything will guarantee that you will have no voice of your own and that you will just regurgitate what's already been published, that will. I, I find that for the macabre for horror, you need to look at your history you you if you go back through the history of where things go like there's so much online you consume so much but why do you think that ghosts started to look like sheets why did ghosts look like sheets where did that come from because before everybody could afford these big coffins and everything you wrapped dead bodies in sheets <laughs> well that's simple once you think about it it's simple that's why ghosts look like sheets, because you would have people wrapped in sheets. They saw a lot of bodies wrapped in sheets. And if you had somebody that had, had some kind of medical condition so that they weren't dead, when they raised back up, they'd just be covered in a sheet. <laughs> so makes perfect sense that ghosts, we would think of ghosts as sheet covered. Yeah. And then our idea of ghosts changed when photography came in. That's right. And you had uh, accidental ghost images and early photos and stuff. And so, ghosts being like transparent looking people, that changed when the technology changed, what we expected ghosts to look like. And before that, though, if you read early, early instances uh, about what ghosts looked like, if it was a true, uh, a regular haunting, like um, when you go to Hampton Court, Anne Boleyn is supposed to run down the hallway. And, but you see her, if you see it, you see her, it is not transparent. It looks like she's there. She runs, she ignores you. That's a tape recording ghost. That's what I've called it for years because it's, mm-hmm. it's something so emotional that it soaks into the very fabric of the, of the, of the building. And so, you know, if you're going to have ghosts, why do they look different ways? And I may get not get all of that on the page, but, I get a lot of it on the page. And even if it's not on the page, it's in my head when I write. And I find that it adds a richness that you cannot get if you do not research. And like vampire or vampire-like creatures that suck blood exist in almost every culture on this planet. There's got to be a reason for that. Anything that is so prevalent and That's one of the reasons that I started doing research on vampires. I I read folklore and mythology and ghost stories and everything long before I ever sat down to write. My grandmother would tell scary stories. That would be something that we would do. Something you do to entertain yourself and pass time. and, And so you have to soak up and, and figure out what it is that interests you as a writer and follow that. That's, that's, that's your clue. What interests you the most is usually your clue. What you, what you should write.
0: Yeah. I love that.
1: The the old style, old idea, um, write what you know. I absolutely say that's not true. Write what you want to know, write what you want to know more about.
0: Yeah. Interest led
1: because it's hard to write. You sit in a room by yourself, usually, and you're alone with your demons eating your head, if you have any in your head, and most of us do. You need to be there with enthusiasm. One of the reasons that I have 30 books out, and a lot of the people that have come after me do not, is I think that this is what I want to write. I'm writing what I want to write. I am not jumping on the bandwagon because it's popular. I am not being inspired by somebody else's writing. I am inspired internally. And I think that's one of the reasons that I'm still having so much fun and still love the series so much and find new things with each book because this is my my area, my, my interest, my passion, my hobby until I started writing it. So for me, I come with enthusiasm that is internal, not external. And I think that's one of the reasons that I still look forward to sitting down to every book and writing it.
0: It's so cool to hear, and very inspiring um, to authors. I think probably just starting out, thinking, "How do I just get get through this first book? You know, how do I how do I find the that next gear? <laughs> you know, to finish something, just finish one thing." <laughs>
1: Did I tell you my, did I tell you how I wrote my first novel? Remind us. Okay. I wrote my first novel, which was Nightseer, Elves, Dwarves, and Dragons. Total fantasy. It it was nothing like what I would write later. I was working full-time in corporate America. And I found at the end of the day, after being in corporate America in a cube farm, I did not have any energy left to be creative. So I would get up every morning at 5 a.m. And I was not a morning person at that time. Let me just add that. (laughs) 5 a.m. And I would sit down and I would write two pages every morning before I went to work. And sometimes the two pages were terrible. They were literally me going, I can't write. This is too early. I have no idea what I'm supposed to be doing here. But if all I could do for two pages was complain, that's what I wrote. And this was important for me to see with the first novel. I would print out my pages every day and put them to the side of my computer so that every day I watched that stack get bigger. And it really helped me to see the pages stack up and look more and more like a real book. That visual was very important to me. And I could hold it in my hands. Literally, it was tactile. I could feel it getting bigger. My first draft, that was how my first draft was written, because it was the only time I had that I could devote every day. I wrote it two pages a day, rough draft. And by the time I got my rough draft done, it looked like a book. It had enough pages for a book. It felt it was heavy. (laughs) And that really helped me go, okay, now second draft, and I will tell you something that no other writer I've met does. And it is one of the things that has helped me the most. When I get through a first draft, if I see a spot where I don't know, like, because the first novel I wrote was set around the 15th century, as far as technology and stuff goes, I couldn't even get her undressed. What would underwear look like in the 15th century? But <laughs> at that time, there was no internet. This is pre-internet. Uh, The internet was there, but it was like baby internet. So you really couldn't go easily and look stuff up. So rather than getting in my car and going to the library to look up what 15th century underwear would be or what a banquet at that time, what food you would have and stuff, I just wrote in big letters, what does 15th century underwear look like? (laughs) That's awesome. And I went past it. And so the second draft for me is just filling in the holes. Um, I choose a word that is not in the book, something ridiculous like aardvark or rutabaga, something you're not going to use. And then I do a word search for that, and I go to each one. The second draft is just filling in the holes with either research or what was the name of that street or whatever. That is second draft. And then third draft is when I start polishing. And that is how I wrote most of my first early novels, that whole process there. So first draft can be as terrible as you want. Second draft is just filling in the holes. Third draft is when you start to polish the writing itself. Mm. Yeah. And it helps, helped me not get bogged down. It helped me not get caught up in perfectionism because I knew I have a process. I have drafts. I have drafts to fix this. And that is, that is the process. That is how I've written my first books. And every once in a while, I forget this. I think, oh, I'm hot shot now. I don't need to go through the process. Yes, I do. And now, when I first started out, I call it, I call it the 70-30 rule. When I first started out, 70% of any first draft I did was garbage. 30% was gold. But you have to write the whole 100% to get that. 30% because it's scattered in among the 70. The more I write, the better my drafts got. Of course, I improved. So some books some books I'd finish and it was 70% gold and only 30% trash, or it was 80% gold and only 20%. And then it goes back and forth depending on the book and how things are, are going in the world. But every first draft is some percentage of just garbage. It just is. You have to be willing to be really, really bad on paper to get the really, really good stuff too. So many people treat writing and anything they want to try as a new skill. They treat it as if, as if you sit down in a car for the first time to take a driving lesson, and you are expected to be Mario Andretti doing the Indianapolis five hundred. No, you are expected to learn how a car works. And how to creep forward without killing yourself or anybody else. That is your only goal. Uh, you know, most of us are never going to get to to the Indianapolis 500, and if we do, it's going to take a lot of practice. And writing is like that. I don't know why so many people sit down and think they're going to be, you know, whatever writer they admire, because they don't understand how much of a process, how many drafts before they saw that book. And they expect themselves in their first draft to read like a finished draft that has been edited and seen by multiple eyes. I think a lot of people crush themselves before they start like that.
0: Yeah. Great reminder don't crush yourself before you start. Um, you've got to hone that craft and do it over time.
1: But, but you know, whatever works, whatever works for you, that's, that's the big thing for me. And I will tell you this, that even though I am 30 plus years in the game and, you know, I think Slay is my 42nd novel coming out, but 30 in one series, I mean, I still will run into trouble because I will forget the process rules. I will forget. I will sit there and start beating myself up and go, I've written in this world for this long. Why can't I get through this scene? Why is this scene so hard? And I'll get caught in that negative hamster wheel. And I just have to go back. And if I'm having a lot of trouble with the scene, if I have been writing a scene for more than three days, if I'm stuck in the same scene for three days, then something more is going on here than the writing. I am either a character's not speaking to me, the plot isn't working like I thought it would, or... I just am not ready to write this scene because I need something I I either haven't written yet or something's off more than the writing and I give myself permission to put the word aardvark rutabaga, you know snowshoe unless you're writing about a snowbook <laughs> um whatever write something that is not in the book so spell check won't get confused and then just leave the scene and write the next one because Often I find if I get stuck for that long, I know the next scene.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And when I finished the, the draft and come back, I find one of two things has happened. Either I've knocked something loose and I easily finished the scene, or we didn't need that scene. The book didn't need it, but my writing needed it. Sometimes, sometimes I will write stuff and then have to cut. One of the interesting things is you get better, and, and hopefully you get better as a writer and popular, but... I now am so good as a writer that my garbage is harder to find. The stuff that shouldn't be in the books, the stuff that doesn't belong in this book, maybe I can save it for another book, but I don't actually write garbage anymore. It's well-written, it's interesting, it's very alive and sparking, but that doesn't mean it belongs here. And it took me a long time to realize that just because it's shiny and good doesn't mean it's not still not part of the seven, not part of the hundred percent gold you want there. And that is something that nobody nobody tells you as you go along in your career. Nobody warns you that when you reach you know number one status, that your editors are less likely to want to edit you. They they don't want to mess with your process, they want the book to be popular. And you have to begin to police yourself in a way that that nobody warns you about. So it was interesting to go. There, there's no gatekeeper here. Where where is my editor here? So they said, "Well, you're doing so well. We didn't want to hinder your process, and so <laughs> you have to police your own process in a different way after a certain point. If you if you get into the rarefied atmosphere, you're selling really well. You have to watch your own self and not get overindulgent, because they won't call you on it most of the time anymore."
0: Hmm. That's fascinating. And
1: when you start out, they give you no slack. <laughs> I had such harsh editors when I started out, you know, that I just you almost gradually don't notice when when the wind changes and suddenly you don't have that anymore. So that was an interesting thing to to discover along the way. I wrote Smolder, the 29th book, and Slay so close together. Like, it I was very important to me. Smolder came out in March of this year, but it was very important to me that the 30th book come out in the 30th anniversary year of the beginning of the series. So Smolder in March, Slay in November. And as I'm writing all this and thinking about it, and I got, I really started thinking about how I got here. It made me very nostalgic to hit 30 years. I've had several fans say that, you know, write in or comment on things and go 30 years and say that my series is one of the longest running relationships in their lives. I am both very flattered and and I wish them well with external relationships after this. I, I wish them all to find, you know, happiness that is longevity. And Jean-Claude, the main, the, the, one of the main male lead of the series I've been writing him longer than I've been married to my husband. Oh, my. So that was an interesting thing to think about as well. Yeah. I don't know. I, it's, it's made me very, you know, I've reached a goal that I, I never dreamt of. I never thought I'd get there when I started out. And so it's made me look back and really think about how I got here, how I've stayed here, uh, you know, the, the good rules for the care and feeding of your muse, and that means translates to the care and feeding of you because, um, I find that some writers seem to consider our body is just this, this, this thing that our brain rides around in and they don't treat their body as well as, as it deserves. And I don't mean living at the gym. I mean, uh, it's very hard to do that and have a, uh, ongoing writing career, um, mm. to do that kind of, you, you can mm-hmm. go to the gym, but you can't live there. <laughs> no, uh, I, I tried that for a while and um, I managed it. But it was like all I did was was healthy, healthy eating, exercise, writing. And then I would go off on a trip, refuel, come back, wash, rinse and repeat. And after a while I got I, I went, I need I need to just sit and do nothing for a little bit. Stillness, stillness. That is the other thing we are missing that has really changed since I started out. Um, boredom. There's no stillness, there's no boredom. Because we carry a computer in our hands that has more computing power than sent us to the moon. And we can always read something online, uh, we can go look at a video, there is no boredom, no room for any of that. And we have constant input. And It's not, I don't think it's good for us as as writers. I really don't. Um, Because one of the things where stories come out of, the original stories going all the way back, is we told stories to each other to entertain ourselves and to explain the world around us. Well, if you live in such a way that you never have to, you never have to worry about that you can click on a link you can put a question in and you will get a dozen opinions on how something works one of the ways that i renew and renew myself that i had lost with all the tech is being quiet but sitting in the big comfy chair in my office drinking a cup of tea cat curled up beside me staring staring out at the leaves at the trees I started forcing myself to leave my phone across the room, to leave my phone someplace inaccessible because if it was where I could reach it, I didn't sit there quietly. I sat there and got online because it's easier to get online than to sit there and be still with your own thoughts. But it is deeply restorative for me to be still, to be quiet to just watch the trees and just <sighs> let it all wash away without worrying about it. That that has been the thing that I rediscovered that somewhere I lost in all the technology. I love the technology, please do not get me wrong. I love my phone. I I'm sorry. I would I would rather text for business than email or call. It's it's quick, it's easy and and we're done. But I think I, I know for myself, I shouldn't speak for everybody, I know for myself that I lost something when I embraced too much into that lifestyle. So that, that I found, that I found, sitting quietly, thinking nothing, reading nothing even, just sitting, sipping the hot beverage of your choice and just letting yourself be still. That is both restorative to me as a person it is restorative to my muse, that spark of creativity, and it helps me come back to the writing more refreshed and, and feeling like I'm, I'm ready to go again.
0: Amazing. I love it. I think um, that is probably a really great place to wrap up, and, and you've, t- you've been very generous with your time. Thank you again for coming back on here to discuss your process, and of course, 30 years of this wildly popular Anita Blake Vampire Hunter series, 30th series in the installment Slay is going to be published November 7th of this year from Berkeley. And um, yeah, it has been truly a pleasure to, to hang out with you and let you uh, wax philosophical. Um, I think the quiet contemplation piece is a really, really important, I think, uh, as you put it, kind of restorative uh, piece that we're all probably missing right now because we're also uh, distracted by all of the bad news.
1: I think so. <laughs> I, I absolutely think so. And this is a good place to end. I'll add one thing. We are not evolved as a species to get this much information this fast from all over the world. We're used to living in small groups. If you look back over the anthropological history and everything, I I think that one of the reasons anxiety and depression is, is so high is because no matter how good a day we've had, we get on the internet and somewhere, someone in the world is having a terrible day, a terrible catastrophe. And unless you can save the world, if you have that ability, please do so. If you can, if you can look at that bad event and Superman all the way across the world and fix that, if you can do that, please, please do it. I applaud you. Please do it. But if you can do nothing to help the person or that story, if you can do nothing to help them, then you do not have to know about it. And you do not have to bleed for every horror that you see on the internet.
0: I could listen to you uh, talk for hours on end. I, I mm, Thank you. Again, I will, of course, link to your home base. And the latest Slay it has been truly a pleasure. LaurelKHamilton.com we can connect with you on all the socials out there. And of course, we wish you a long and prosperous career and health and wellness. And thank you again for all of your words and wisdom.
1: Well, thank you very much for having me. and It was a pleasure talking to you.
0: Thanks so much for joining us for this file. And if you're a fan of the show, simply head over to writerfiles.fm for more. That's writerfiles.fm.